0: Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest Uber geek Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together.
1: Hey, everyone, this is part two of our continuing discussion of ElfQuest, the final quest special.
0: If you think about it, um, you know, the Wolf Riders have now been living next to and oftentimes in the actual Palace of the Highlands, the restored yes. palace, for really the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, over the course of the final quest, you know, some, I don't know, I, my guesstimate and it is somewhere between, you know, 30 to 40 years. Really? Um, that since, long? Well, well. If you, okay, here's my quick math from okay. the end of from the end of the shards storyline. Yeah, which is when all the various storylines first actually kind of came back together. Yes, the Forever Green storyline and the Hidden Years and Wild Hunt storyline. Well, actually, before the Wild Hunt, but um, they you know they come back to the original halt. They spend a couple years. Um, we have the whole sort of full circle tale where Suntop becomes Sunstream. Um, then you have the tales of the searcher and the sword and the discovery several more years pass over that time frame then you have like the first half of the final quest special over the course of which a few more years you know kind of pass so it's an undetermined amount of time but yeah. it's definitely several years i was thinking Enough- like maybe
1: 25 because i was going more by the ages of characters like shuna and twitter right. or twitter (laughs) chitter
0: (laughs) chitter that's really funny
1: um yeah
0: so so there's this time frame that passes and then we actually get a specified 20 something year jump in time so if you if you kind of do that loose rough math yeah you know you got to figure it's more than the 20 something years right okay because some time has passed and so i i am saying in my book you know, 30, maybe even as much as 40 years. Mm -hmm. I posted that on Facebook and Wendy piped in and and said, that's about right. Yeah. So again, they're not pinning themselves down to like exact dates and hours and whatever and minutes. But so that's, I think that's,
1: uh, well, we're touching on something actually that was a point of contention on the forums, right? Which was the whole timeline because there was a lot of confusion and questioning over when the final quest was taking place and how long after shards this was. And, and, how can this character be this age if this much time has passed? Um, and Wendy and Richard kind of stepped in and said, look, we're telling the story. Um, a significant chunk of time has passed since the Shards War. In order for us to tell the story properly, we're not going to get specific uh, that specific as far as uh, years, minutes, seconds right, right. since event a happened and event B ended. This is the story. And, um, this is where the characters are at this point. Right. And we need to be here in order to tell this story properly. So
0: that's exactly uh, a perfect example of what what I was talking about earlier about their perspective on how they're telling the story and that they're not going to be boxed in, you know, and, and, and they they recognize that stuff has gone before and mm-hmm. they're okay with making you know maybe some nuanced changes even sometimes to what has gone before yeah, in order to fit, there. yeah to fit the vision to fit the vision and story that they want to tell as ElfQuest's creators and shepherds and all that and I'm actually okay with that
1: you know what you know when I first uh, was reading the special and I I, I myself got confused about the timeline because, uh, like I said, I'm a stickler for stuff like that. Uh, yeah, me too. For me to fully engage in uh, fantasy worlds, I often feel like I have to be um, or or the story itself has to have an internal logic that makes mm-hmm. sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was I was a little frustrated at first, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, the, since reading um, the final quest up until the, the last issue, that has completely become uh, obsolete as a concern for me. Yeah. I, I don't care anymore. I find that yeah. it's it's kind of irrelevant. I, I just want to be engaged in this story. It doesn't matter to me now, you know, whether it was twenty years or forty years right. that has passed.
0: Well I again I think you have totally hit the nail on the head and I think this is where it's so important to to when you're reading this to know that there is this sort of bigger story arc going on and there is this vision for where this this decade spanning tale is going. Mm-hmm. And sometimes as fans, when and, and this is totally normal and natural, I think it makes sense that we as fans have these kinds of reactions. You know, we get these few pages in front of us and then we dissect and obsess over and
1: like we're and try doing to, right now.
0: Like we're doing now. <laughs> but um, but if once you have them in perspective of the bigger picture. Yeah. The way that Wendy and Richard do,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um, because they obviously know what's going to happen and we don't. Um, Yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot of these concerns just kind of melt away. You know, so what if there is a slight discrepancy in what? Well, actually, because I am like you and I'm anal retentive and I'm a Virgo, I went and I went back and kind of reread everything and tried to figure out, well, where maybe is there any consistency where isn't there? And really, it boils down to this. If you were a reader of the anthology format comics, Mm -hmm. that you know when when we had multiple tales going on in different chapters, um, the the Wild Punch storyline, yeah, back in the nineties, so long
1: ago, last century.
0: Yes, last century. Um, The only thing that really is, if if you want to call it an inconsistency or a a break in the timeline, yeah, is is this? There's a little intro blurb at the beginning of each of the different storylines. Yes. And the wild hunt yes. storyline
1: mm-hmm.
0: says 12, 12 years after the end of shards. Right. That is the only thing, a little sort of editorial blurb yeah. at the beginning of that of, of each of those chapters. Yes. That, that is, 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 is a, is a blatant break with the timeline. If you forget about that and you assume that those stories took place within that indeterminate few years after the end of the shard storyline that mm-hmm. sort of happen, um, over the course of full circle and over the course of the searcher and the sword and the discovery, then you're fine. There really is no discrepancy. Okay. You know, basically Pool, Sust, and chitter are nice. all born within a few years of each other. Okay. And so even in the final quest special, when you get that, that, um, in the very beginning, um, you kind of get a little look, you know, uh, Shukapek is being born. Chitter's obviously like, I don't know, I would give her like maybe five, six, six seven, right? Yeah. And, and you see Pool there. Yeah. And if you really look at him, he he maybe is 10. He could be older, but he could be only 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I don't think that there's any real discrepancy there.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, they're all, again, born within a few years of each other. And if you still have trouble with that, the thing that helps me is I just think about the fact that none of this matters a couple of years here or there to the elves. They don't think that way. No. And so, you know, exactly.
1: and so, yeah, oh, it's um, kind
0: of irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. But no, exactly. that is that I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because um, as I said, in the first episode of, of this podcast series, I don't always just want to give glowing praise. I mean, if there's an issue and it's something that bothers fans, I want to talk about it and kind of chew on it. And I think that is, yeah. that's a legitimate thing that um, people were confused by yeah. and, and, I think if you think about it and you're willing to have a little bit of a fluid approach to Elfquest, mm-hmm. then it's not going to be a big deal. And as you said, as the tale unfolds in the big picture,
2: mm-hmm.
0: little things like that are really – it's it, like obsessing about them is almost missing the point. Exactly. You're going to miss out on all the really good stuff That's if, right. you're, if you're trying to etch in stone some of these things that Wendy and Richard don't um, – it's not important to them. No, I mean, again, having that internal logic and having obviously consistency across the the greater tale mm-hmm. is clearly important. Sure, but if they don't feel it's right for the storyline, yeah. they're gonna they're gonna prune it. In my in my gardening um, metaphor again, and and I, I'm okay with that. I think I they're
1: doing the best with what they had to work with, given that so many different creators were working on the anthology series and those stories were taking place at different time periods. Yep, yeah. on different timelines. So now that everything's kind of come back to the main tale, they have to make it work and they're molding it and pruning it like your analogy uh, you know like uh, they're like tree shapers and so you know that's that's what they have to do in order to tell the story like I said I was a little bothered by it at first but since reading through the series as it stands right now. I've completely forgotten about that right. whole aspect of the timeline. I don't care yeah. anymore. I just want to read the story because it's so good and I'm so exactly. into it. Like I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. yeah. So.
0: And, and you know, I do, I, I want to give, um, I, I do want to give props to Wendy and Richard and Richard in particular for posting on Facebook recently, I don't know, an acknowledgement of the fact that back in the nineties when they had multiple artists and authors working for them, um, you know, that there was a varying degree of quality uh, to to the stories and to the art and that that is what it was. Right. I mean, th- there there's, there's limited resources, limited man hours to sort of police every last single thing. And um, and, and they, they've acknowledged that, which mm-hmm. I think is great. Mm-hmm. But I also but at the same time, they really are like consummate professionals. I've never heard either one of them. Um, or read any, any instance where they really kind of, you know, said bad things about anybody that ever worked for them. They really uh, have been nothing but supportive and complimentary, even, even in this recent acknowledgement that maybe, you know, sometimes the quality wasn't as high as they would have liked due to deadlines and lack of, you know, just time to sort of rewrite things and whatever. Um, sure. I just think, I mean, I think Wendy and Richard are a class act. Oh, absolutely. I mean,
1: I've read comments where they've said things about working with people who weren't as professional as they had hoped, but they never name names. So, you know, and that's, in my estimation, the sign of true professionals where, you know, you can you can comment on the people or the talent that you're working with without, you know, having to blacklist somebody.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And thank God for that. I mean, because there's let's face it there, especially on social media. Well we, we now, all have yeah. yeah we all have our fair share of people you know bitching about this and talking crap about that and it's just who has time in their life for that and Wendy and Richard don't indulge in that which is awesome yeah, yeah. yeah. however i will say
2: mm-hmm.
0: what a delicious delight it was for me personally when Wendy posted on facebook that where she confessed that she doesn't love all of the elfcus characters oh, yeah. equally <laughs> i know I, and
1: i have my guesses as to who she's referring to
0: Yes. Yeah. I don't and know so, if we should talk about that, <laughs> but yeah. Well, maybe that'll be another podcast. Okay. But, um, but yeah. Um, again, as, 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 as much of a professional that Wendy and Richard, um, as much as they are professionals, they're human too, just like mm-hmm. us. And It's so amazingly refreshing to know that some of these characters irritate the shit out of them, just like us, too.
1: I'm I'm thinking it might be a couple of characters who kind of got lost in the jungle a few years ago, but I'm not sure.
0: (laughs) And so we'll we'll see what happens with that. I mean, uh, maybe they'll show back up in the final quest. I don't know. Who
1: are you talking about?
0: Um, Well... (laughs) I'm not even going to answer that. Let's just move on. <laughs> we will not. <laughs> we'll, we'll be mysterious. Yes. Yeah. We'll be mysterious. All right. So, so diving back into the final quest special, uh, we've got we kick off with this birth scene. Um, Shuna's baby, who later in the epi- in the issue, uh, is is named Shukapek, which is sort of a hybrid of Shuna and Ikopek.
1: Can I just is... step in for a second? You were about to say episode. I yeah. <laughs> refer to issues as episodes all the time of ElfQuest. And I think it's because in my brain, it plays out cinematically, like it's a yeah. movie or a TV show.
0: So it's not just like a, a, an American Canadian thing? I No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think it's... Uh, so you guys yeah, don't, don't call know. your... It's not like, you know, in... in, in, in I don't know England? if it's... Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's like just the UK or if it's in Europe where they call um, what we would call Se- season one. They call it series one. Series, yeah. I know. I was always confused by that. Yeah.
1: No, we. Yeah, in Canada, it's it's a season. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, All right. But the the issue episode thing. Yeah. Weird.
0: Yeah, I think I'm just getting confused because we're talking, um, you know, episodes for the podcast, but issues for the comics. So. Be it. Um. So so the baby's born. Shuna and B decide that they're going to. Shukapek. You know, kind of, right. Shuka, is Snake. Uh, Aikopek. No.
1: Shukapek is, is her son.
0: Is her son? Yeah. Aikopek yeah.
1: is is B
0: correct yeah you and know what
1: so, I, I just want to mention this too i could be totally off base with this but for some reason i'm thinking that shukapec might at some point become some sort of antagonist towards the elves and i don't know why i feel that way i do going to
0: say why do you think
1: i that i have no idea it's just something some gut feeling i have i could be totally wrong um i don't know it's just some sense that i have so right. i'm just putting that out there
0: all right. Well, let, let's talk about this this little human family for a minute here. So, right. uh, you know, spoiler alert: um, B, Icopec is mm-hmm. one of the uh, the first casualties of this issue, and there yeah. are several. Yes. Uh, poor guy gets his head crushed by a giant boulder from yeah, a particularly uh, a particularly xenophobic uh, human tribe that yeah. accidentally sees Chemo, mm-hmm. um, who has accompanied Shuna. Good job, Chemo. Yeah. transforming
1: in front of the, <laughs> the dangerous human tribe.
0: Exactly, yeah. And so Poor B gets get you know he's out of the story. He's crushed. Um Shuna and chemo and Shukapak escape and um and then Shukapak grows up into you know young a young adult and mm-hmm. um fitting and that a,
1: archetype I was mentioning before.
0: Right, exactly, yeah. And so um he very interestingly mm-hmm. is – okay, so, so this is like a major plot development and, and, and a perfect example of what we were talking about earlier of like sort of a new idea and concept being introduced into sort of the elf quest mythos that nothing before it has said that it couldn't be, but they just never done it, right? And this is this whole notion that humans – that elves can alter humans to make them live longer. Right. That they, they may not be able to make them immortal in the same way that they would make – an elf immortal by taking away their wolf blood, but they can make humans live longer. It's why this is the other thing with the timeline, supposed inconsistency. People were like with, um, uh, with Corbassi and Ember's mm-hmm. tribe. They're mm-hmm. like, well, how could he be, you know, how could he still be around 40 years later, but still be a young adult? Well, yeah. we learn that it's because Mender has altered him to essentially be ageless yeah. And that that and, and we, coming back to Shuna, we see her say, you know, I've been tooling around for 20, 30 years or whatever, trying to spread a message of acceptance about the the, the elves and the forest spirits and whatever. And, you know, sometimes we we're lucky, but generally we're, we're kind of, you know, we're not we're not being super successful. And she says, I'm getting tired. I'm getting old. She's probably in her 40s at this point, which for a human at that sort of age. Time frame in the world of, of, of two moons is yeah. getting pretty old, and, and so, in the
1: environment she's living in,
0: exactly. And mm-hmm. so she asks Lita to to basically give her the gift of long life, sure. and and she accepts that willingly. And interestingly, mm-hmm. Lita says, "You know, if you decide that you don't want this, I can reverse it." Yeah, um, which is pretty interesting, and it makes me wonder: is if that's true of elves that had their wolf blood removed? Um, I don't know. I would imagine that it's not. No, I don't thing. think so. But, because I mean, once
1: the wolf blood is removed, you can't put it back in, could you? Right, right. I mean, how would I that work?
0: I I don't know. I don't, I don't
1: know. I don't yeah. think you could do. that. I would
0: imagine not, but um, but I'm not. I I have been reading ElfQuest long enough. Yeah. And, to to not make any bets. <laughs> sure. One way or yeah, the other. we shouldn't make any right. assumptions. But um, didn't but,
1: Skywise try that in the palace in? Uh, what was it that? Uh, oh yeah. it,
0: yeah, and Wolf Shadow. Did mm-hmm. did did he try to get it back? Yeah, he, he wanted
1: actually... his he wanted his wolf bl- his wolf blood back, but the palace couldn't put wolf blood back into him, so it kind of changed him right. into a a wolf as close as right. possible, which made him go kind of mad. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm going to need to reread that one. I haven't read that. Yeah, one Yeah, it's in a been long a
1: while time. for me too. Yeah. I might be getting some of the details wrong, but that's
0: well. I think the the, the big difference there is that there was not sort of a sentient um, elf healer kind sure of doing it yeah it was sort of the amorphous sort of personality-less pa- the power the of the palace yeah which let's be honest is also responsible for creating things like mad coil or mind coil from the jinx storyline sure you know there's no sort of judgment on uh, as far as that the the magic of the elves goes when yeah. it's not being controlled by uh, you know sort of an individual personality right. so um so who knows okay. what could happen if an elf like Lita was like i you know, I want to make you mortal again, mm-hmm. Skywise, or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, let's take a, it's possible. going back to uh, to Shukapak. Yes, he it, like very interestingly because it's 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 pretty much a very atypical point of view for a human being to take, especially as the human as humans are presented in ElfQuest mm-hmm. to essentially say like the gift of immortality. Uh, no way! I don't want, I don't want that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and yeah. and. And maybe that's a testament to the fact that he, okay, this is, like, light bulbs are going off for me right now. I'm I'm thinking about this as we're talking. Is that, you know, we were talking about Shuna growing up in this medieval society with her horribly abusive father Mm -hmm. in this world where, you know, uh, elves were either, you know, they were either demons or angels.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And her inability, even after seeing the reality and living the reality with Mm -hmm. with these beings, that they're just, like, Good and bad, just like any other living creatures, right? Right. Heart inability to get past that. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe. I mean, really, what it, what it seems is that is that um, in a way, yeah. Shukapek uh, has ha, Shuna has given Shukapek a uh, a wisdom that she herself that eludes herself, right? That he he's completely well adjusted. He knows just what I was saying that. You know, elves can be great, but maybe there's, not so, so, there's things about them that aren't so great. And same thing with humans, and we're all just beings and whatever. And he's like, I'm a human. I want to live like a human. I don't want to be something that I'm not. And I don't want to be put in this situation to watch, you know, my wife and child, when I, you know, get married and have kids, die before me. Yeah. Um, and so it's almost like like Shukapek, in a way, is like Shuna's um, redemption isn't the right word, but I feel like, you yeah, Shuna has major hangups. And oh. I don't know that she's ever going to get past them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yet, yet she's done right by her son right. and has done right by the next generation by kind of raising them right and and giving them uh, the gift that she herself could never actually achieve.
1: Sure. Yeah, that's, right? that sounds valid to mm. me.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, that's what we're going to go with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that
1: works for uh-huh. me. All right, so obviously it seems like, uh, okay, so Shuna and Korbasi have found the fountain of youth, basically, right? mm -hmm. And the fountain of youth is the elves. It's Lita and the healing power.
0: Right. And Mender.
1: And and Mender, yeah. Um, Shukapek has, has rejected that. He doesn't want it. Um,. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point though that that Shuno has still retains these hang-ups um that maybe she can can't ever get rid of just by virtue of how she was raised. But in raising her own son, she's kind of um like you said redeemed those those facets of her personality.
0: Yeah, redeemed is probably a good word. yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, it also makes me wonder too like what You know, we were talking about ElfQuest sort of being a self-quest and how autobiographical it is.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I wonder, um, you know, maybe what message that Wendy and Richard are trying to impart to, you know, the the readers of ElfQuest about, you know, what their life has taught them about that kind of thing. You know, like, are there things from which, um, you know, you just you might not ever be able to break away from, you know, negative things from your upbringing that um, even though, you know, better are sort of still plague you. Um, well, you maybe know, not, I
1: think it's that there's something to be said that um, you can recognize truths and maybe not fully integrate them within yourself, but be able to pass them on to others and right, have yeah, them it, integrate them into
0: themselves. Yeah. That, that That's where my mind is going to that, you know, maybe that's, the message that they're, that they're weaving in there is that, um, just that, that, you know, you might not ever feel like you have overcome your own demons, if you will, but that there's all like, you know, it's this message of hope in the, in the future and the next generation. And that if you're thoughtful, that even if you don't feel like you have conquered certain things that you can do right by the next generation,
1: Sure. Yeah. You can still pass that message on, even if you don't right. feel like you've conquered it, whatever right. those demons are,
0: which, which is a really, really kind of fascinating thing to kind of think about and, is. and chew on, you know, I mean, I think about, uh, just, you know, the, the various prejudices that we humans have against each other and, um, and how, how those things really are learned, They're top behaviors. And uh, at least on some level, I mean, I think xenophobia and, um, there might be some sort of ingrainedness about that, that. Yeah, there's
1: probably some biological aspect to it.
0: Right, yeah. Um, but that, and, and again, maybe, maybe that's something that's going on with Shuna too, right? Um, that there's something about human nature that just makes you not be able to let go of some of those things that um, you were kind of raised with and kind of imprinted on your psyche, if well, you Well,
1: I think that's partly why the humans are so antagonistic towards the elves so often is just because they have this biological um, instinct to defend or defend against right. or attack the other.
0: Well, I mean, Shuna even says that. I think it's in again, Searcher and the Sword, uh, but it might be Discovery that you know it's hard for humans to look at something that's so much you know m- more beautiful and powerful than themselves and see anything other than and feel anything other than like jealousy and hate. Well,
1: yeah, but she says something like that in this. Issue too, right? Where she says, "I'm looking at it right now." She says to Sava, um, uh, "Yes, I understand what it is to prefer an unseen, faraway ideal over having my nose rubbed in a grace I can never hope to attain."
0: Exactly. Yeah, which is yeah, pretty yeah. much
1: the exact same thing. I think you're right, right. She did say something about jealousy, or in in one of the other.
0: Yeah, it was something like, um, "Sadly, stories. like when presented with something this beautiful and perfect, mm-hmm. most humans are going to react by you know bashing you in the head, just yeah. like." You know, just like the the first encounter between, you know, the high ones and the humans on the world of two moons. And it's kind of. suck. Yeah, I mean.
1: Really suck.
0: (laughs) That's that's what I was just going to say. It's like not much has changed. Um,
1: Yeah.
0: No, but it has. Okay, so this is what we're talking about. We're talking about Shukapek embodying the change. Yeah. Even though Shuna knows and she can't actually fully manifest. you know, in her, in her own, if even only in her own mind and heart mm-hmm. that her son, she has, she has sort of been successful because she has raised, a, a, you know, a person that doesn't have those hangups. Yes. Um, uh, it might be one of the only humans ever other than say, you know, Nana, um, who, who, who actually has that worldview or that point of view on, on, on the elves and that's kind yeah. of interesting and i don't he's, know where give that's going to have
1: some credit though he was a pretty cool dude. well he came around
0: he, but he, he's he's a cool dude but i don't think he goes in for like the woo woo so no that's you true. Know, yeah he's like you know if if anything he actually has the healthier attitude he's like these are just yeah. you know other people that like eat and bleed and do other bodily functions and yeah, right. they might be they might be kind of you know more athletic than i am but they're whatever still,
1: they're <laughs> still people
0: yeah yeah, yeah yeah um all right so, so why do i
1: have this weird feeling about chukapec i don't know where that's coming from
0: i have no idea i don't know i, I couldn't tell you um <laughs> but now that you say that i'm obviously going to be paying extra attention
1: keeping to an him. eye on him
0: yeah and see and see what happens with him i yeah. mean i could easily see him sort of becoming again just sort of like a background character who goes on to help sow the seeds of acceptance and all that um but Maybe he will have a bigger role. I don't know. And, and you know, it, it, it does make me think of the of the the, the future stories that you know the Jink storyline, the rebels, and yeah. then the the future quest storyline. Where if you read those closely, mm-hmm. um, particularly the Jink storyline, yeah. um, you learn that mm-hmm. human lifespan at that that point in time in the story, yes. which is only a few hundred years.
2: Mm-hmm. It's not
0: thousands and thousands of years. No. Away from the time where we are right now in the final quest, right, is much longer. Yes. Um, yeah. and So well, I've I always have I,
1: about- I have some theories about Jink and who she actually is. We should get into that sometime.
0: Oh yeah. yeah,
1: but it's it, yeah.
0: Again, that, that's another like four episodes, definitely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder what's going to happen now with Shuna as far as sendings concerned, because we know that by Searcher in the Sword, she's able to send. Right. right. Um, So, is that going to be another gift that Lita bestows on her at some point? Right. You know, she's extended her lifespan. Why can't she change her brain around so that she can be telepathic? You
0: know. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or not even. um, I have always got the sense that um, that humans have the potential to be telepathic and to have powers that you know akin to what the elves have. It's just that they haven't opened themselves up to it in real life. no or in the well, story in the story oh okay in the story. maybe in real life i was thinking I, in real life oh that'd be we're cool not, we're not talking about real life <laughs> but uh wait so, elf so, is not real life <laughs> i know this is a shock <laughs> um, why can't it be <laughs> i know right um no but like maybe maybe that's all lita had to do is sort of help open shuna's mind a little bit to her own potential versus like say shape-changing the structure of her brain in yeah. order to um and i and i suspect that if anything it's 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 the the, the former versus the latter well but. he
1: said that at one point in the storyline that the humans have gifts asleep within them Somebody oh yeah that. yeah
0: i think it was lita that said that yeah uh,
1: so then they do have that ability Somewhere yeah dormant lying dormant
0: yeah now now after we're done here i'm gonna go seek that out because I, I can't remember who exactly yeah. said that yeah. It might have been Sava. I don't know. But you know what?
1: You won't uh, have to do that. Somebody on the forums will point it
0: out. That's I'm right. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Homework assignment for listeners. If yes. You've made it this far. <laughs> help us figure out who said that humans have sort of dormant powers lying within them. They just haven't realized them. Um, and then <laughs> comment on whatever you know, Facebook page or forum Sorry. that you feel like, because we will follow them all.
1: Mm-hmm. And then we'll we'll give you a shout out in the next episode.
0: Yes. All right, so there's still a whole bunch more to stop talk
1: about. So, <laughs> what are we on, like page ten?
0: Yeah, <laughs> if that. Hit that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the palace, though, okay. um, and there's some some new things that we learn about the palace mm-hmm. um, and its capabilities and things like that, um, and that, that I don't know have have implications for the way the rest of the story develops. And the big thing that I'm thinking about is. Um, Is Well, actually, I I think this is the smaller thing, is the ability to take pods of the palace out on journeys.
1: Isn't that the coolest thing?
0: Because it it
1: makes total sense.
0: I remember several years ago um, thinking about this and thinking, you know, why wouldn't that be possible? Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, again, sort of that internal logic that a story has that – um, uh, well, again, if you go back to the the the, the rebels storyline, mm-hmm. they have the little palace, and yeah. they're able to, through this human no less, use the power of the palace in from this small piece of it to sort of jump around the universe, or at least the galaxy. Right. Um, and so, why wouldn't the elves be able to shape change out, or you know, shape out a piece of the palace and do the same thing with it? So you could essentially equip. Different groups of of elves with pieces of the palace and allow them to you know do things like travel and whatever without having to pick up the whole kit and caboodle and zip across the world and so it's kind of neat to see that um, actually make its way into the story and and uh, and and have it explained by by Sunstream and by Sava that you know the palace is this sort of energy thing, and you take a piece out, and then it kind of just fits right back in, and there's no damage done. I
1: love how Sunstream describes it as, uh, he says, like riding in a seed pod that's blown from a thistle by the wind. Right.
0: How poetic. How poetic, exactly. (laughs) But
1: it's great that he has to explain it in those terms to his father and and Skywise, because... Um, obviously his father is, uh, I don't want to say <laughs> like,
0: he's a little too earthy. Yeah. We'll put it that
1: way. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, the palace and the high ones and all that is kind of beyond cutter as far as his day-to-day life, right? Like he, totally. he's very totally. much connected to the earth. Yeah. Um, this, you know, what's happening in space with the palace and magic and stuff. It's not his deal. It's not a
0: exactly. Yeah. And to his credit, you know, he's like, he doesn't have a problem with it, but he recognizes like, you know what, it's it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like the flip of one of the first things that we learn about um, Sunstream when he back when he was Suntop,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: when he says, I'll be what I'll be. And Cutter just accepts it. And it's like, you know, he's not going to be the Wolf Rider chief that's Emperor's role because she's got the wolf blood and whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like the, like the flip flop happening here where Sunstream is like, here's all this great magical stuff. And his dad is like, I don't get this, but whatever. It's cool. And Sunstream's like, yeah, it's cool. You'll be what you'll be. Yeah. It's kind of neat.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, It's just fully accepting who he is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, And then there's the the other thing about the palace um, is, yeah, there are these pods, which I think, from a storytelling point of view, mm-hmm. is pretty great because it opens up a lot of possibilities to be able to, oh, again, zip around the world to different tribes and whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and I love the fact that Skywise isn't quite really good at it yet, at yeah. navigating, at least by himself. I think that's that's kind of real. Yeah. That, um, you know, from the beginning where the elves are sort of, their, their magic ab- abilities are really um, sort of squelched, Mm-hmm. To now, when mm-hmm. they have almost infinite possibilities, yeah. there really has been this progression of the, of kind of this increase in the uh, the magical abilities and the powers of of the characters and everything. And, but yet, w- there, it's still not perfect.
1: No, well, Skywars is still learning, right? I, right, he's yeah. not. Who is the master of the palace? Is there a master of the palace at this point? I don't
0: think. I don't think there's a master of the palace. No. I think the whole notion of a master of the palace, yeah. is a completely you know, egotistical notion
1: antithetical to everything that the elves are
0: that could only have come out of someone like Ray, God bless him. But (laughs) you know, like I don't think, Uh, I feel
1: sorry for Rayek. I wish like just the fact that he could have been master of the palace and now he probably never will be, Uh, you know, just despite the fact that he would have been probably this crazy dictator if he had that much power. But,
0: well, I mean, let's just like call it. I mean, Ray is, is the ElfQuest version of the classic tragic character? Oh, definitely. The only thing that hasn't happened is that he hasn't died, but that would almost be a cop out. Yeah. But you know, you know, if it, for those that have not studied this, I mean, you know, the the classic tragic character is this powerful person who um, oftentimes means well but does really bad stuff, mm-hmm. and then they end up realizing. They sort of have this come to Jesus moment, if you will, realizing <laughs> what they did that was wrong. And then almost come always, that, yeah, they, they end up they end up dying in yeah. this like, horrible, brutal death. And they essentially atone for their sins sure. through their death. Um, and, and it's really horrible and, and tragic, to use that word, mm-hmm. because they know what they did wrong. It's not just like a villain who is awful and bad and does bad stuff and then they get killed. It's like they realize how awful they were and all they want to do is make it right. And then they get killed. Yeah. So that's tragedy in a nutshell. I mean, in Rayek's version, he got stuck with Winter Will's soul in perpetuity. That's probably worse than I was dying.
1: just going to say that's probably yeah. worse. That it would have um, to be. It's a fate worse than death. Right. He, so, can, he can't I die. If he does, then her soul will be released.
0: Right. Yep. And I'm sure, I'm sure that that little plot twist completely delights both Wendy and Richard. Um, whoever, whichever one of them thought of that first, um, you know, I think it's 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 completely right up there. Out what
1: that he wouldn't die, that he would have to be Winterwill's prison or
0: yeah, uh, well, just jailkeeper? just that it was a it, a really amazing way to work in again that sort of classic tragic character mm-hmm. into Elfquest in a way that was seamless with the logic of the universe that they yeah. created. Yes, um, you know, so I think I think yeah, I I have to guess that they're patting themselves on the back for that one. I would think so.
1: <laughs> Well-deserved. Uh, but getting yeah. back to the palace, um, what's what I love about ElfQuest is that it has this sort of science fiction um, worldview, but the story that we're experiencing, that we're reading, is fantasy. So right. it's a fantasy story that exists within this larger science fictional universe, um, where there's aliens and there's advanced technology. Because let's face it, the palace is an extremely advanced form of technology of some sort that the, well, yeah. the Coneheads developed on their home world. Right. Um, and it's, it's Arthur C. Clarke, um, one of his three laws. I just looked it up, by the way. I'm reading it right now. Number three is any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic.
0: Exactly, and
1: that if that does not uh, relate precisely to the palace and to the the technology of the high ones, I don't know what does. Because the palace is this vessel that the elves call magic, but what it really is is just an extremely advanced form of technology.
0: Well, just like any of their magic powers are yeah. literally just a manipulation of of biological processes or mm-hmm. natural energy. Mm-hmm.
1: But and I love that it's never um, a point that Wendy and Richard make within the story that that's what it is. They never spell right. it out for us or throw it in our face. It's implied,
0: right? And it, well, that's
1: clearly what it is, but it's never it's never um, described to us in, in those terms.
0: Right. Well, that's because the story is told through the point of view of the characters and they wouldn't have words or an understanding of what science is or technology is or whatever. And so they call it magic. Right. They just call it magic. And so do the humans. And so do we. Right. But the great
1: thing is, though, that it, it is magic, too. Like when I'm reading the story, that's how I'm thinking of it. But then I can take it to the other level and think, oh, yeah, this is just they're manipulating energies or or the palace is just this highly advanced form of technology, but I can read it on the level that this is just magic.
0: Uh, yeah. And, and again, that's the beauty. Like you don't have to be a science nerd and obsess about that aspect of it to understand and appreciate Elf West. If you are mm-hmm. like you and I, I think both are, you get this extra level of satisfaction out of it yeah. because, you know, in the same way that someone who is a, you know, a classic literature nerd or a Shakespeare fan could really appreciate the the tragic nature of sure. Um And if you haven't studied that, and if you haven't really gotten into that aspect of, of, of Western literature, maybe that thought never occurred to you and you still love Elfquest. And uh, again, just more testament to why this is an amazing tale that is, you know, why, why we're here talking about it now going on two hours. Um, and <laughs> I mean, I've
1: also wondered like the powers that the elves have, um, their magical abilities, if that was not some form of in their ancient past on the star home, genetic manipulation of some sort, maybe they experimented on themselves in the far distant past. Maybe right. it's, it's nanotechnology. Maybe the elves have like nanotechnology inside of them. You know, who knows? Oh
0: uh, who knows? And, and this is the kind of thing, um, the more the more I, yeah. You know, all these years have gone by that I've been an ElfQuest fan, the more that I read the story and the more that we hear things from Wendy and Richard themselves, the more I am like, I have no idea where the hell this is going. <laughs> I have no idea what they're going to do next. Um, and it's it's actually kind of it's slightly traumatic as a fan because I want I Certain want to know. I, yeah, I want to have like a comfort level. Um, and so it's, it, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. once the storyline is told yeah, and I read it like 6,000 times, I'll get there. But in the moment of telling the story, I, I, I literally feel like at any moment, any, any carpet from any direction might be pulled out from under me. Mm-hmm. And while that is, I don't want to say that's a, always a, you know, it's, it's oftentimes not a pleasurable state of being to be in as a fan. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't happen any other way, right? No. I don't want to know what's going to happen. I don't want to know where they're going to go with this. Me neither. And so, so you know, you brought up nanotechnology. Who the, who knows? Who knows? Maybe that's exactly what's going on. Maybe all of the elves have like little chips in them in their bloodstream, and yeah, you know, who just knows? like I fully have...
1: integrated into their yeah. biology or something, you know, yeah. and
0: I, or they've, I have they've no idea
1: manipulated their themselves in the far distant past so they're able to do all these crazy things that they can do you know it's but i just love the whole idea that uh technology advanced technology plays a part in ElfQuest without it being um thrown in our face it's just it's so it's such a clever way to um play both sides of the kind of science fiction and fantasy um worldviews I guess they're 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 playing with both of them I I really like that
0: yeah I I agree in a way it's almost like Star Trek yeah in the sense in the sense that um you know Star Trek has these sort of scientific notions um and those are kind of at the forefront I Mm -hmm. think um and yet Star Trek wouldn't work if it was just sort of musings on where the, the the science of the future would take us right star trek is about the characters and the people and the interactions and you know uh, obviously sort of contained within this sort of technological futuristic story but it's kind of the same with ElfQuest. but on the flip side like you have this like science and this
1: there's potential technology. science yeah
0: um, but it's 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 not the point or it's not um Like it wouldn't work without the characters. That's right. Yeah.
1: I think too, Star Wars kind of is in that same type of genre where if you look at it, yes, they're, they're in spaceships and they're flying around the galaxy, but there's also knights and they have mystical abilities and uh, it could all be explained away by science, but it, it isn't, it's kind of left to your imagination. Like this, this could just be magic.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think, I think of the two major star you know, fill in the blank franchises. Yeah, that that ElfQuest is obviously the you know the 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 the, the kin to Star Wars way more than Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how Wendy ever heard about that. I'd be curious about that, but. um Well, yeah, you you got the point of yours. Uh, We'll we'll, we'll, we'll get spot that, but um, but uh, but yeah. I mean, obviously, like you know, Star Wars is is much more of um, has a lot more of an emotional element to the way that the story is told. It's got a lot of fantasy. I mean, Star Wars really is a fantasy tale. Yes, packed in the trappings of science fiction. Definitely. Whereas I feel like Star Trek, um, and and I'm not anywhere near uh, as familiar or a fan of star trek as i am of, of star wars or elf quest mm-hmm. but obviously star star trek is much more um i don't know science-y if you definitely. will definitely um but but my point remains i don't think that star trek would be successful as a franchise as a science fiction franchise or, or successful with the fans if it weren't for the characters you I know agree. i mean you could have androids with no personality in the same roles as all of the characters and it would be a failure you need spock you need kirk you know you need bones you need your uhura if that's how you pronounce her name you yeah. know what i'm saying like yes you need those those people and that is what makes it relatable to other people exactly yeah yeah all right so let's let's get back to elf quest okay <laughs> um and, um, I, the, so, all right, we're, we're still kind of, I'm going back to the beginning of the final quest special. Okay. Um, I, I just wanted to touch on, um, one of these intro scenes that might seem like a throwaway, but is one of those great examples of dialogue and panel layout that tell you so much about these characters without ever beating you over the head with it. So I'm thinking of the scene, it's actually page 7 mm-hmm. It starts on page seven and goes into page eight. Are we talking about chemo
1: and and yes. Shenzhen and Dart?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So 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 we have this. You know, Shuna and and B decide that they're going to leave the Wolf Riders and go out. Wait and,
1: a second. Just before we get to this about Dart and Chemo, why did Shuna and B decide to leave? I didn't really understand that. Why well, would uh, they decide to take off?
0: I okay. So th- my my interpretation of this is that Shuna is really wedded to this idea of uh, essentially being a missionary. Shuna is Elfquest's version of a missionary. Mm-hmm. She she has a fire in her to go out to other humans and spread the good word if you will about the good spirits and help change people's minds and lives for the better in her mind, at least. Right. And so
1: <laughs> I was just thinking she, she's right? like the world of two moons version of a Jehovah's witness.
0: Kind of. Yeah. And, and it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. And if mm-hmm. Wendy and Richard decide to take that. Mm, I don't know. I mean, the critical view that most of us have about religious people um, sort of going out and kind of pushing their views on others. I don't know if that's how they're going to play it out. But I think at, the, at least at the very <laughs> surface level, yeah shuna is a missionary
1: yeah and i'm just thinking of humans in some tribe like running into their huts and hiding when they spot shuna coming
0: oh my god well i mean look look what happened to be you know some of yeah. them not everybody's going to react with like you know flowers and and parties right. when shuna shows up and is like oh yeah you know those things that you've been like terrified of for you know yeah. tens of thousands of years yeah. they're really great you yeah. know like we hang out together mm-hmm. no not everybody's going to react that way yeah. right Witch. um but but so i think shuna you know she, she's married she's gotten over a lot of her hang-ups although not all as we learn later in the story as we've talked about mm-hmm. yeah you know, she's had her kid she's like ready to get her life on she wants to go yeah. out and, and and I think I think that is what um, what leads her to want to go out and basically set up her own camp start her own little you know sort of uh, missionary tribe if you will her family yeah. uh, I also think though now that we're talking about it that Shuna is smart enough to recognize that she'll never be a hundred percent comfortable living with the elves. Mm-hmm. And I think she has some level of normalcy and healthy human relationships. Yeah. And I think maybe on some, maybe even subconscious level, she's like, I need to go live in a human world
1: Yeah, to raise my baby. Sense.
0: Yeah. Um, he's still going to have access and connection with the elves. Chemo's is going to be with us. We're going to come and visit, but I think maybe on some fundamental level, she recognizes that never be an elf.
1: Well, also, Um, I think, too, maybe it's just I want to leave home. I'm old enough and I have my own family and I want to do my own thing.
0: Right. right. Yeah. But for whatever her logic and whatever her motivation to do that, it sets us up for this great little interaction between dart, chemo. Shen, Shen mm-hmm. and New Star, who doesn't who doesn't really say much in this scene, but no. I think she's really important.
1: Well, she never scene. really says much,
0: right? Right. So so, you know, we we get, and this is a little bit too of I think Wendy and Richard wanting to explain what has gone before, without giving a, a total rehash. But we get this, you know, it's communicated that Chemo and Shuna are, you know, they have this bond, this connection, which. Has never really been explained, but they do, right? And that yeah. he has decided that you know I'm going to go. I want to go with Shuna and, and be her protector, and um, and then then we have Shen Shen mm-hmm. speaking up, and she makes a reference to Dreamtime. Yeah, and, I know. You know, I, I, when I
1: read is, that, I was like, whoa! It's that reference to that dream that she had. Okay, we're yeah, going somewhere with this,
0: right? And you mm-hmm. and you don't you don't have to have read Dreamtime in no. order to get it, but no. but th- I, I will tell you this: this is the first time reading the final quest special and seeing this conversation that Shen Shen's dream made a little bit of sense to me <laughs> you know like a lot of dream time i will admit com- still baffles me i'm yeah. not really sure what the hell is going on right um, if it's supposed to be metaphorical i mean some of it obviously has come to pass so it's maybe mm-hmm. prophetic i mean who really knows what's going on but this in sh- in Shen Shen's dream you know the main message is, is that you know you need to shine where you love i'm like what the hell does that yeah, mean i don't right? know what that means and so here we have an example of an elf, um, you know, kind of shining where they love. And, and Shen, Shen explains it, what that really means. When you do what you love best, you shine where you love.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I just thought that was awesome. That was amazing. Yeah. And they didn't need to include that, that little explanation and that sort of context for the Dreamtime story which was told you know 10 or 15 years ago or whatever but they did and it just makes Elfquest it's one of the things that makes it sort of rich and amazing and yeah and mm-hmm. and and you know Sh- uh, Kimo's like yeah I trust dreams and yeah I guess that's what I'm gonna do and then he you know he transforms into a wolf mm-hmm. um, and this is the second thing that I think is really awesome about that is that he has this little exchange with Dart yeah And he says, you know, you know, I'm going to for the short life that they have to live, I'm going to run with the humans. Um, And then he says or he sends to Dart, you know, and what about you? Where do you shine? What you know, where do you love? And Dart kind of laughs. He's like, you know what? I kind of flicker this way and that if you ever see me steadily glowing anywhere, let me know. You know, and they kind of giggle about it. Yeah. And so so this is. I mean, I have no idea what's up with Dart or uh, what, what's going to happen with his character he
1: seems kind of like a blank slate and he's always kind of seemed that way to me um, during Forever Green I read most of that he's, he was really um, a dark character brooding Right. never really felt right to me though the way he was written in that But um, yeah me neither uh, I feel like now that he's back with the Wolf Riders in the original Holt he's kind of finding himself a, or he's searching for himself. Um, so I think that what he's referencing there is just this feeling that he has that he's not even sure of who he is and he's yeah. got to discover who he is as a person.
0: Right. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, that, I, I like that interpretation. I mean, I think as far as I've gotten with it is that I think that you know Dart had this whole life in the Sun Village he, and he had all this trauma emotional and physical trauma you know Shushen, his you know love mate soul brother you know brutally murdered by the gobacks um you know and and all of the 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 trauma in the aftermath of that and the explosion of the volcano that happened in sorrow's end and him having to be this leader figure i mean he definitely did have sort of legitimate reason to have sort of this dark side and then the forever green tale you know however you feel about that you know it happened, and it's obviously been referenced. I don't think Wendy and Richard are really going to go into much detail about that. All we know is that Dart has sort of this emotional trauma and dark side in his past.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now he's with his birth tribe. He's not in a leadership role. And I think what we've, what we've seen out of Dart since the end of the Forever storyline Um, So, again, through Full Circle, through the Searcher and the Sword, and through the Discovery, the little bits that you see of him, is that Dart has let it all go. And he is, like you said, maybe a blank slate. And he is just actually the epitome of a wolf rider living in the now-wolf thought. Like, he's not getting hung up on anything. He's just living his life day to day. He's hunting and howling, living free. and, And that's his life. And he's actually seems actually content. Which is kind of neat.
1: I'm just hoping um, that we get a scene where it shows him styling his hair, because <laughs> I need to know how he does that.
0: I I, I have no explanation. What for What product
1: you on that is he using? <laughs> I, honey or yeah? I
0: don't know. Well, well, it, um, I think it's it, it's gonna be a um, kind of a face-off between Dart and Krim for who can have like the highest hair <laughs> and outfits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I would, I would, I wouldn't hold your breath on that one. <laughs> but um, yeah,
1: um, I, I mean, I think that is basically where he's at. I think that's a great interpretation that you said. Where he's completely in the now, he's kind of yeah. dropped everything. Right. Uh, he and, he lost himself in the Forever Green. I think actually that was a, a line from Shard sixteen. Yes, where he he yeah. said specifically that he lost himself down there in the jungle, and now he wants yes. to find himself. So.
0: No, that that that's the exact line. Yeah. And I think we're 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 seeing that played out here. But the big thing, mm-hmm. and the reason I bring it up, is that this little little just almost throwaway interaction in the very beginning of this very long comic, to me is like this is the kind of stuff that we need to be looking out for. Because to me, it's like, yes, Dart is now a blank slate and he who like anything could happen with him from this point out, like Mm -hmm. what is going to happen to dart? And, and we don't really, you know, we're, we're up, we're up to issue two. Right. And so what is going to happen with him? We, we haven't, we don't know yet. Nothing really has happened with him, but, my guess is that there's going to be something that happens with Dart. Yeah. And it's foreshadowed right here in this little interaction with him and Chemo.
1: I still feel like he should be in some sort of leadership position of some sort. I don't know how that could ever work out now,
0: but, um, he,
1: he feels like a natural leader to me. He's always kind yeah. of taken up the initiative to, he's very independent for one thing. I mean, when he was what, seven, he decided to stay on it. The or he's older than that, I guess. Right. Yeah. His I parents think he left?
0: was, uh, I would say I think he was like thirteen.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um. So he's She's a bit 14. older, but you know, I mean, for a kid, basically, to decide he's yeah, going to stay on at the Sun Village and teach the the Sun Villagers how to be Wolf Riders.
0: Yeah, but I think there's a big difference between like naive, innocent. Yeah, there is 13 year old Dart. Yeah. And 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 we don't know exactly how old Dart is because he was in and out of rap stuff while the other Wolf Riders were sleeping. I mean,
1: I'd say he's around five six hundred.
0: Probably. Yeah, like I would say, somewhere between like five and eight hundred.
1: Yeah, he's got face for
0: chronological years. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of living, a lot more than a lot of the other elves. Right, but well, I don't even mean like that. I mean, like the stuff that he's experienced in his life is a lot more. He's got a lot of darkness and a lot of trauma and all that kind of stuff. You know, he's recognized. He had a kid who grew up and died, and you know, he was in a you know a, a three way life mating. He had his his really? you know his soul brother Shushen. All of that stuff. Um, and so I think the dart that we see right here in the final quest is essentially a blank slate in the sense that, I mean, we have no idea, you know, what, uh, everything else in the past, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. is kind of out the window, right? And so, you know, who knows what he's going to do, what he's going to say, how he's going to develop. And I, I find that kind of exciting. Yeah.
1: It will be exciting to see what happens with him. Let's just talk quickly about dart. or Kimo and Shuna because the nature of their relationship is really interesting. You brought it up briefly, but um, it's almost like recognition,
0: but of course that can't
1: happen between humans and elves, but are they just really good buddies or like, why are they drawn to each other in this way?
0: You know, I think my, my take on it is they're just like two, any other two people that just, they become friends. They have a deep bond and a friendship and whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, they just like each other, yeah. and they understand each other, and um, and they want to be there for each other and help each other, and and that's as deep as it is. And that's yeah. you know,
1: yeah, I think that's, that's how I take it. Yeah, I I think that's a great explanation and and reasoning for it for sure. Yeah, well, it doesn't have to be anything more than that. They're right, really good yeah. friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah, how and, about you know, Dart and Chemo? Because for the longest time, there was intimations that they were a couple, and then there was a huge push by fans to kind of acknowledge, to have Wendy right. and Richard acknowledge that they were a couple. But it's it was unclear, and now it's kind of I think been said by Wendy that no, they're not; they're just really good friends.
0: Yes, yeah, and and, and so this scene too, as I I think is. Is maybe a deliberate um, acknowledgement of that, and and just saying like once and for all in the story, like th- that they're not a committed long term couple. Um, I think. Well, okay, so so let's rewind. This whole notion of the two of them being love mates, I think, came out of the Forever Green storyline, mm-hmm. which, as as we've kind of hinted at, um, I think is a, a troublesome storyline for a lot of fans uh, for a whole variety of reasons, and that. Um, I, my, my personal take on this is that I take everything in the forever is maybe with a little bit of grain of salt. Okay. Um, and so I think that idea was put out there by n- not Wendy and Richard. Um, in this case, Barry Blair, who was writing and illustrating, um, that story. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that kind of got put out there, but when Wendy and Richard took these characters back under their wing hundred mm-hmm. percent, it just didn't make sense to them okay it wasn't where they wanted to take them yeah and so that happened when searcher and the sword came out and you hear dart and chemo kind of referring to each other as like my good friend or whatever and i think myself included i was like oh wait a second you know why how come we thought they were a couple or whatever but yeah, you're you're right wendy did say in the um ask elf mom commentary on the elf quest forums that they weren't actually a you know sort of a committed couple okay so
1: that's where she she definitely addressed it yes okay
0: but with that said, I mean, like every other elf, that doesn't mean that, they, that they're that they not love mates, no. they haven't done their thing or whatever, but... Right.
1: But they're um, not a couple.
0: But they're not a couple in the same way that Dart was with, with Shushan right. or that Ember is with Tear or yeah. whatever, right? Okay. And I'm fine with that, you know? Yeah, that's
1: fine. Um, I mean, we'll I, see if they find other romantic partners. I mean, that's interesting in and of itself.
0: Yeah. yeah. However, I will say this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do want to see a same-sex couple in ElfQuest... Just like we like we see any other couple, um, you know, done, just you know, sort of in a loving, uh, tasteful, whatever words that you want to use to describe how every other couple in ElfQuest is presented. Now, and, and yes, we have seen well, obviously Dart and Shushan, um, but you know that was sort of a quick little thing. It was never really explored.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we we we've got um, Tillit and Dushine and Scouter mm-hmm. and. I think that, I mean, there's, there's...
1: Well, there's been plenty of three meetings.
0: Right. I, I think the biggest, though, is Pike and Scott and Krim. Yeah. And I'm thinking, again, going back to Dreamtime of... And this is this is one of those scenes, too, kind of like the little patch story that gets me every time. Um, maybe because it's it, it, it speaks to me on a personal level, but um, after Scott goes after the humans and he gets burned in the fire... And Krim gets sent off to go, you know, alert Lita that, you know, Scott's wounded or whatever. And you see Scott and Pike on the back of Pike's wolf and Scott's burned. And they just have this moment, the two of them together, where it is blatantly clear that these are, are, are love mates, they're life mates, mm-hmm. and that there is a deep bond there. That's the only time I think I I, I can say that, that, that we've seen a same-sex couple represented in the same dignified way that other couples are are represented okay but you know uh, i want to see more of that and i think it's time for that well Um, hasn't
1: wendy said that she's going to include a same-sex couple in final quest
0: i I think she has she said
1: Um, yeah she she said on facebook yeah Yeah. that she would so
0: so so (laughs) we'll see what happens right yeah Um, who knows gonna be in yeah,
1: I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it will be Dart and somebody. But, um, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I mean, um, I, we could devote an entire episode to that topic.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, maybe, and maybe we should. And, maybe. You know, the, 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 the way that I think about it is, um, you know, we've heard Skyway say in um, the Heart's Way story
2: mm-hmm.
0: that, you know, he prefers – even though he and Cutter have had their plenty, plenty of their, you know, their own, you know, fun romps, if you will mm-hmm. – <clears throat> That, um, you know, I think of Dart, um, there, there are no gay elves, right? Because none of the elves have, the, have those labels and that kind of thing. And I think that um, I'm cool with that. But I think of Dart as, uh, as an elf that prefers what the lads have, if you will. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I wouldn't be surprised and I would actually be kind of gratified um, if it were him. That is the one that ends up in this um, relationship that Wendy has hinted at. But I mean, <laughs> again, who knows? It really could be any one of them.
1: Yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see who that pairing will be. But they've also said, Wendy and Richard, that um, every combination you can imagine has occurred, right? Or every <laughs> pairing that you, that you could imagine.
0: Exactly, yeah. So
1: the fact is that they
0: are all... Omnisection. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, Alright, so moving on I just wanted um, to
1: talk about Kimo, though before we go somewhere okay. else just uh, with regards to his powers and his ability we have this great transformation scene on that mm-hmm. page, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing he only seems to be able to transform into a wolf, I wonder if that's something that he's chosen or if he's only able to do that or like why can't he change into a bird or I don't know, anything else
0: well, all right. So this is a great question. I thought I thought a lot about this. I okay. think that you know it was pretty pretty well established that Tamain is exceptional because she was this you know the, the lone first comer who retained enough of her powers in the world of Two Moons to sort of um, uh, transform into anything that she wanted, and that this power of shape changing was almost like a lost art uh, that no other elf could really do it, um, and it wasn't until the palace was found and restored that we see any elves kind of regaining that ability Winna will, of course. Um, and maybe she always had the, the ability to do it and never really acted on it because she didn't really spend that much time in the palace. Mm-hmm. Although she did when she was kind of imprisoned in her aquatic form. So she could have, so she definitely did have the bolstering effect on her magic before we see her fully cha- shape change into something else, which is of course was her human version, lady Venavel, in the shard storyline. Mm-hmm. But um, but you know, now the palace is restored. You have elves living in the palace and being exposed to it, and now we see some elves that are shape changing. But there's a big point that is made with Kimo in the Searcher and the Sword, and that is that he essentially has to spend a lot of time, you know, studying with Tane to develop this power and to be able to turn into a wolf. Mm-hmm. And so I think the reason why he doesn't turn into any other things. I think the point that's being made there is that this is still a really special, very rare power
2: mm-hmm. and
0: that not every elf can do it. You have to actually kind of be an exceptional elf to do it. And even then, the world of two moons still has this dampening effect on elf magic and that Chemo had to spend several years, again, studying with a high one in order to be able to make this transformation. I
1: think I know where you're getting at. So he focused on specifically one (coughs) creature to transform into?
0: Yeah, and that... um, And then he mastered that. Right, and he mastered that. And that's why he's able to do it with such ease now. Right. Because he has practiced
1: it. Okay, that
0: makes sense. And again, it sort of... it, It kind of bolsters this idea that even though the elves do have the palace and that they are much more powerful now, that... Than they were before the troll war and they got it back and before the gliders magic restored it, you know, under Reik or whatever, mm-hmm. that they are still crippled on this planet and that it's the rare elf that can shape change at all. And even when they can, they're limited. It now, makes
1: sense, too, that it would be a wolf because if he's training under <laughs> Temaine, Um Temaine was a wolf for so long. That's what she transformed into and remained right. in that shape for. Right for thousands of years so yeah. of course she would teach him how to change into that creature
0: right and it's also practical i mean chemo's have yeah. wolf rider um they're living in the in the in the halt mm-hmm. so what other what better animal to turn into than a wolf right
1: right i'm sure he uh, could like go out and observe the actual wolves too maybe that would help in some way. right
0: yeah yeah that's a good point yeah, yeah. um but interestingly you know the other elf that we see shape changing is mender and yeah. this is another thing that I think is kind of interesting to think about is that how, how you know, the elf's magic manifests itself in different ways. I mean, yeah. Mender is clearly a healer, and so mm-hmm. he's coming at the shape-changing ability through his healing powers. Right. And, you know, healers are really kind of biological manipulators, if you will. They can grow flesh and, and manipulate it and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so Mender actually is a lot more versatile in his shape-changing ability, if you will. Um, but I feel like Mender's ability is much more surface level. You know, he can like shape his nose and his ears to look a certain way. Yeah. But Chemo clearly is taking the, a different track. And his his magic, I think, is much more of that sort of Timane esque magic where you know he can kind of change his like uh, on a much more deeper level. Now, I guarantee you that he can't change himself to the depth of the level that would allow him to sort of, you know, have a Timorn, if you will. Right. Way that Timane did, or Timane did, yeah. But um, you know, like he could never reproduce. No. Is my guess. Um, but he is still able to. Like I don't think Mender could transform himself into a wolf. No, I don't think I so. I think Mender and Winnowill, for that matter, can manipulate their surface appearance. Yeah. To look like something similar to an elf, like
1: right. It's human. like a disguise almost.
0: Right, but that I don't think that they could, you know, either Winnowill or Mender could change into like another animal.
1: Well, here's an interesting point. Who is Chemo's great great grandfather, grandsire?
0: Um, great, great. So wait, his grandfather is Woodlock. Mm -hmm. Um, his oh his and his other grandfather is Rain. Yeah, yeah. So the healer. I never put two and two together on that.
1: So doesn't that his and Chemo's uncle is Mender?
0: And Chemo's uncle is Mender. Yeah. Oh my God! What a huge revelation.
1: So the healing ability the runs in much. his family.
0: Um, yeah. Duh.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Right? Yeah, light bulb. This is exactly the kind of thing that we were talking about earlier, where every time you kind of read the story and think about it, there's so many there's so much stuff in there that, you know, half of it could go over your head for a decade, and then you finally have a conversation with someone and you're like, Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was wondering sense. for a
1: while, is this Kimo's ability something that he learned or was it something innate? Like if, if um, I don't know, Shen Shen wanted to go into the palace and learn how to be a shape changer, could she have been taught the ability or would it have to be an innate, there'd have to be a spark innately within them that would just be yeah. um, nurtured and grow? Yeah. That's
0: uh, a good question.
1: But I think in this case, though, given um, Kimo's family history, I think it's there's a spark within, within him already, and that yeah. was nurtured through his training with Tomain. I don't right. know if any elf could just go in and learn how to be a shape-changer.
0: I, I would agree. I, I, I think that any elf has the potential if the circumstances are right and they want to work hard enough, um, but that is has probably never happened um i think that there maybe that um the only reason chemo could get to where he is is that he did have that sort of uh predisposition based on his heritage right um, that he comes from a magical background and specifically a healing background which is all about sort of manipulating the body and everything and well so, yeah. it's
1: interesting because healing the power of healing it, it plays into so many different facets of the powers right like shape changing um Self, changing anti-healing. Yeah, it's all manifestations of the same power, basically, which is the right. healing ability. Because what is healing except um, manipulating tissues and bones right. and and stuff and 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 shaping them?
0: Yeah, I mean that's why I, I, I think that I, I think of healers as as biological manipulators. Um, but obviously, that's not a a term that they're ever going to use no. in ElfQuest, right? No. But um, but yeah, I mean that's what they do. But they we can see, make we flesh crow, grow.
1: I mean, Lita's a, a, sh- an, a shape changer, a flesh shaper.
0: Right, a flesh shaper. Flesh yeah. shaper.
1: Yeah, yeah, she's shaping the flesh, and but in ways that she hadn't before. Like, she's she transforms uh, Sunstream. She helps to transform Sunstream into his right. aquatic form. Right,
0: right, um, which which is another thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, about um, so let's just jump to that. Um,
1: just before we do, I just want to say I love uh, that transitional period that chemo's in where he's half wolf half elf and he's talking right to yeah. star because uh, i don't know if you've ever seen youtube videos of dogs that are talking you've seen them before right <laughs> but that's exactly what they sound like the way it's written right <laughs> it's like they sound like they're speaking but it's, it's still like that growly dog yeah yeah, types, yeah yeah yeah
0: right um yeah i had one of one of my dogs who is um no longer with us but he was um half husky and I totally know exactly what we're talking about because huskies as a breed are known for being talkers. They don't mm-hmm. bark a lot, but they do this like very vocal. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and that yeah, I didn't think about that when I read when I read the scene with Chemo, but now from here on out forever, every time I read it, that's I'm going to put that sound that's effect. That's
1: how in. <laughs> that's how I hear it in my head when I'm reading that. Yeah, I think it's great.
0: So, um, I think. All I'm really going to say about um, Sunstream's fish form, which we first saw in the Discovery, is I think it's awesome, mostly because it's another example. Um, you know, we, we, we talked about earlier about the, the wave dancers and whether or not Wendy and Richard envisioned them in the Elfquest mythos, and I don't know if they did or they didn't, but I do know that Wendy has always drawn these sort of sea creatures, and the design for the um, Sunstream's fish form is comes from an old illustration that Wendy did maybe as early as the 60s of this little sea prince, yes. and I'm making air quotes, and it's the same exact character design before ElfQuest was ever even created, and she was able to work that in to ElfQuest, which That's I think is awesome. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. So, so wait, sidebar, can you hear the dog toy squeaking in the background?
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's not that loud, though. It's okay.
0: Okay, because I have headphones in and I can only just barely hear it, so... um,
1: No, it's not distracting. Don't worry about it. All
0: right. Well, sorry to the listeners that have to hear that, but that's my dog, Lucky. (laughs) He was like, I want to go out for my evening walk, and he's chewing on his um, Chewbacca dog toy that makes a squeak, so...
1: um, (laughs) Of course, it's Chewbacca. My apologies
0: for that, yeah. But anyway, that's pretty much all I really wanted to say about the the Sunstream fish form. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, and the fact that we learn in the Final Quest um, special that he his fins actually have some kind of defensive power that like a poison. Either either so okay so for those of you who don't know, I am a naturalist by trade. I work for the National Wildlife Federation, and so that you know nature and wildlife and all that kind of stuff and adaptations are what I do for a living um, and talking about them and teaching people. And so uh, when I first saw the scene where. Corafe is born, Mm -hmm. which we'll 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 get to her the next time we regroup and talk about all of the cool stuff about her. But um, you know, and and Sunstream, yeah, and Sunstream has to protect her and Brill from this new fauna um, creature that we have seen in the Elfquest um, you know universe, the um, the belly ripper, and we see him basically attack this thing with his fins. And so my initial thought was that he was kind of like a lionfish. Yeah. Um, which are a you know, species of fish that have these very, very frilly fins in which they have spines that can inject venom. Mm-hmm. But then later mm-hmm. on a subsequent reading, I was thinking that, well, maybe those, those uh, fins with those sort of tentacle-like appendages were more like a sea anemone, okay. which also um, it, it, it's not quite a venom in the same way in that it's not injected. But sea enemies, of course, are these invertebrates that um, have these tentacles, and um, they—they basically—it's kind of hard to describe it. When they come into contact with another sort of living thing, um, they basically have the stinging effect. Um, And so, um, that—that's just my me geeking out on my like science and nature and wildlife stuff. But um, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's specified what
1: I was just concerned that the healers didn't actually warn him that he had this ability, (laughs) and he could have like killed brill right <laughs> oh, well, oh whoops sorry honey touched right. you with my spines and like <laughs> brill floats to the surface
0: that's well well that's what that's what i was gonna say is that i think that um after i had that whole thought process i'm leaning back towards it being like an injectable thing that he has to do and that he has to have some sort of reason to do it like he has to go into defensive mode mm-hmm. because if if he were just like a an enemy it would just be on casual contact that he would be zapping and oh, okay. stinging everything around him. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's where I was going. With let's, that, go with, that, let's go with yeah. the first option. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, all right. Well, on that note, um, why don't we wrap for the night? And, um, Okay, and we will we will regroup and we will talk about all the rest of the amazing things that happened in the final quest special, the birth of Korofay, Chitter's new name, um, Winkind showing back up, um, yeah. you know the fate of, of Kavi and Tildak. yes, what happens to Rafael, um just and on and on, on. huge plot bunch of points that yeah. we have to
1: deal with, and we've yeah. got about forty pages left to go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If not, well, the more- good news is, is that we talked about a lot of contextual <laughs> stuff at yeah. the very beginning and throughout all this one. I think, um, in, 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 I guess what episode three of the ElfQuest Show podcast, where we will focus on the final quest special the second um the kind of the second uh, episode that we'll do on that we'll, we'll we'll kind of stick closer to the plot points and get through it and maybe we could even get through it in like the, the space of an hour so but, that well we've gone off don't. on
1: some interesting tangents this time but that's fine i mean we had yeah. some really cool stuff to discuss so
0: totally agree totally yep. agree yeah if the dog didn't have to pee i would be in <laughs> for another hour but.
1: <laughs> uh it's not just the dog
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, um, I, I, uh, you know, enjoyed the conversation as always, Me and too. I'm looking forward to the next one. Yep.
1: All right. So we will chat again soon. Sounds good. All right. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. And you can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcast or any other multimedia projects on gemendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O.com.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussion on the official forums on ElfQuest.com, on Twitter at, at @ElfQuest or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The final quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, Shade and Sweetwater.